Hey, I'm Marina. And I'm Emily. And I've seen everything in the Sex and the City empire 10,000 times. And I'm starting fresh. So I'll be woman-splaining the show. And I'm along for the ride. But there's a twist. We are starting with and just like that and working our way back to the beginning. So in other words, we're watching it backwards and in high heels. This is City and the Sex. You sound good. Oh my God, thank you. <laughs> you sound healthy. <laughs> At least one of us does. Wow. Okay. I'll leave. <laughs> I don't have to stay and do this. <laughs> shit, our contract. <laughs> our friendship is over. Oh shit, oh no, our friendship is over. It's the only way to it's the only way to cast the pod. You know what? You are so right. I'm surprised that joke was not an end just like that. And for those joining us, welcome. We're at End Just Like That, episode four. Episode four. We're doing You thought I was going to start over, but no, I'm going to keep the fact that you shivved me in my stomach for being (laughs) sick. Oh my God. (laughs) America will hear that. No. Sorry. Sucks to suck. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, we were doing some happened. pre-show banter, but now I gotcha. Damn it. Now, now that I've lost the editing control, I'm dealing with the consequences. <laughs> all right. As I said, and just like that, season two, episode four, alive, all caps, exclamation point is the title of this episode. Really? Emily, as as we do, one word, one word overview for this guy. <laughs> okay. My one word overview is going to be sex question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Because so for a show that's called, well, it's not called Sex and the City, but a show that is is based on Sex and the City. We talked before about how like Carrie, for example, is a bit of a prude and the way that they handle sex is sort of strange sometimes. This show, like no pun intended or maybe pun intended went hard on the sex in a way that I was like, okay, is this what we're usually doing? You know, it's like we went to some new places and then I had mixed feelings about the results. And so that ended with the question mark. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm, It would have been sex exclamation point capital letters, like the title of this episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But then it fizzled out and ended up lowercase with a question mark. Yeah, I feel that. I feel this episode is uncomfortable. Okay. This is how I would phrase this episode is uncomfortable. So before we sit down for a podcast, I rewatched the episode just to like remind myself of the terror. And um, this time my, my, my partner was over and I said, I'm going to watch it just like that now. And uh, he was like, okay, you know, I'll be on my phone. And um, it's not like I'm uncomfortable watching sex with my partner. That's not the issue. It's just the sex that's happening, to your point, is so weird. It was a lot for me to have to defend to my boyfriend. Like, this is my side hobby hobby is watching this television show. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that was why I was uncomfortable. You know, it's it's like when you make really weird art and then you let your family members see that weird art for the first time and then you're like, mm. I now have to justify that this is the weird art that I do. Like I went through this phase. I feel many people can relate with where, you know, 
I was really into anime and manga. And then you, you take that left turn and then you start drawing in anime and manga. And like, you know, I would come to my parents and be like, I want to do graphic novels and blah, 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 blah. They would be like, wow. And then you would show them your like amateur hour anime art. And they would be like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, that's so, that's such a lovely comparison. <laughs> that's what this episode feels like to me, where it was like, I had to go it's through showing your parents again. <laughs> it's showing, okay. So your one word description of this episode is the word uncomfortable. And then your multi-word description is, this episode makes me feel like I'm showing my Sashomaru fan art to my parents. Um, I will also add that I'm still in my slight Popeye era. So. I like that you keep using that as code for being sick. <laughs> but like when I think of Popeye, I think of someone who like eats spinach and gets really strong. So like when he's like, I'm in my Popeye era, to me, my mind is just like, oh, she's like really buff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like- <laughs> First of all, yeah, iconic. And that's what I want the viewer, <laughs> the viewer, because this is a visual medium. So they should be able to see me and know that I'm buff. Uh, that's what I want the viewer to think of me. Two thoughts, though. One is... Do people even know what Popeye is anymore? It's true. Do the do the Gen Zers? Do the Gen Zers know? The millennials barely know. We're losing the receipts. And two, Popeye's girlfriend was olive oil, famously, and she always she had like black hair, and it was always pulled back in a low bun. And I will never forget. I think I was in middle school, and. Um, I had hair pulled back in a low ponytail every day. That was my uniform. It's my uniform literally in this moment. And my dad turned to me and he goes, why are you always doing your hair like olive oil? And I've never been so red to filth. (laughs) That's really funny. We got a job to do. Get back in it, olive oil. We start. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to play for you what she sounds like. And you are going to, you're going to regret saying yeah, that. About I don't me. remember. And I don't know if I want to. Okay. Going off my memory, if I remember, she, she sounds something like, um, she's always like, Popeye, like that. Oh, and if it's accurate, give me an Emmy. Wait, I, do you want me to pretend to react? I can be like, I can be like, um, whoa, that's really good. That does sound, you sound just like it. Oh my God. I don't know what it sounds like. (laughs) Hits keep coming and they don't stop coming, okay? (laughs) And on that note, we should go back to school and hit the ground running. We usually start with Carrie's plot line, but um, we're going to start shifting Carrie to the final place because, you know, she's she's finally getting some main character energy back Mm. somewhat. So mm-hmm. I feel that it's right for her. Whereas the start of the season is really Che Miranda heavy and seems to me like it's, it's becoming less and less, which love that. We, we love to see that. So um, I'll start with LTW and Charlotte mix it up. Okay. All and right. um, the kids are off to camp. Oh yeah. I did want to ask you about this. I love how, <laughs> Every time we talk about the LTW Charlotte plotline, I'm like, and now to our Manhattan private school expert. (laughs) Did you attend camp? Yeah, speaking of reading, did you attend Little Rich Camp away from Manhattan? So I will say I was one of the few that never did sleep away camp. And that was because I 
do had no interest even as a child in even being remotely close to the woods. I was like, I am not interested in this. I am not interested in a location that could have spiders. And so I am going to stay at home with my arachnophobic ass and just have my summer to myself. But that was a big deal, um, was the was the sleepaway camps. So your parents had to deal with you all summer? Unfortunately for them, yes, they did. That, I deserve that. That's fine. I deserve that dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Um, yeah, they really did. Especially because my sister did do the sleepaway camps. Um Oh, sleepaway camp. She did. She did CTY, which she, which they affectionately called the nerd camp. It was the okay. Center for talented youth, I want to say, is what it stood for. Um, but yeah, it was like the it was the smart kids camp. They went up to um, I think there was Skidmore College campus. Um, is where they were, or whatever. So yeah, it ran frisky. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, send me to Skidmore. Get your demo. What do you think was happening at the Center for Talented Youth I don't that you were know. missing out on? I don't know. <laughs> so LTW and Charlotte send the kids to camp. And uh, here we also learned that LTW and her husband, Herbert, are throwing a a anniversary party for all their friends to come to. I don't which, mean to throw you off your flow, but I just need to confirm. LTW's husband is named Herbert? Yep. This is Herbert. Not, we're not just like guessing. Mm-mm. I clocked that this time because I heard it and I was like, oh, yeah, his name's Herbert. And then I was like, what a weird name. <laughs> so <laughs> random. Like, where? That's like the name of a turtle. That's yeah. the second person who has been named a turtle name in this show that is a human <laughs> man. And like, if I had a nickel every time there was a human man in the show that it was given a turtle name, I'd only have two nickels, which is not a lot. But it's still weird. But more than I thought. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So anyway, Herbert, they're celebrating their anniversary at a huge big blowout dinner with all their friends, which at one point in the episode, I turned to my partner and I was like, am I wrong? But like, is it weird to have like an anniversary party as a couple where you force everyone to like eat the cake you had on your first date? Like, isn't that just weird? And my partner turned to me and was like, everything in the show is nothing a human being would do. (laughs) So this is what I'm saying is like it's like we get so wrapped up in the world of this show I feel yes. like I have lost the skew of what's normal so like even pretty weird things in the show will happen and I'll be like safe haven so it's like it's helpful that you had someone there to be like Marina this entire show is like inexcusable is <laughs> bonkers it they are celebrating their 20th I will say but to okay. me anniversary party screams like 40 years grandma and grandpa you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Where like like 40 years is like incredible. Right. 20 years, I'm not saying it's not incredible. Of course it's incredible, but it's just kind of like okay. we're not raising a toast to you guys for 20 years. That's like and I'm gonna nothing, eat the cake, but it like kind of is. Like it's like yeah. you're still in it. And know? I'm gonna eat the cake that you had on your wedding day, like or not a wedding day, your first date. I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know you like that. <laughs> I didn't consider, I don't know you. But I am doing this. <laughs> but also, you were taking notes. And that's why you were asking your partner. You were like, how weird is this, though? How weird is this? Because you better be into it. Um, <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> do you remember what we had on our first date? Because I am I'm getting that menu. Because I'm getting that menu. Um, very pivotal moment here that I want to call out. Okay. And I can't wait to see it again in season one because I didn't catch this, but I saw it on the internet that in season one, LTW has a whole scene where she talks about how when her father died, and as you know from this episode, her father's featured. So it's not even that they just forget what happens in Sex in the City, which is like somewhat excusable, although not really. They also forget what happened in the literal prior season before. Sorry, I I know this is a, an audio medium and I need to say something, <laughs> but I'm like literally speechless because the first season of this show was not that long ago. And that's a pretty big thing, especially for a side character who I don't get the sense as we've talked about, I don't really get the sense they've been given a lot of like attention uh, in the plots and centrality, it's like they don't have a lot going on. Sort of like have a nice bit of backstory that you gave this person, um, and then ignore that and forget about it. It's like that's pretty shocking to me. Yeah, it's just so obvious that they want this polarity. I mean, we'll get to it, but they want the polarity of like Herbert's mom. And quick d- detour here because you know LTW and her. Husband are focused on this anniversary party and their work, but Charlotte and Harry, they're focused on fucking. And this is the sex that Emily was alluding to. Mm -hmm. Um, When we were getting to the scene, and again, my partner was on his phone, I slowly watched him look away from the phone and look dead-eyed into the screen as this (laughs) scene happened. And I was like, all right, well, they got someone's attention. So we go to Charlotte and Harry, and they are having sex, which is great. We love representation of that. And uh, they decide that Harry should finish on Charlotte's um, breasts, on her bosom. And uh, great. And uh, Harry finishes and nothing comes out. And uh, what was funny is my partner had the same reaction I had first time watching this episode, which is, Oh, they were too lazy to, like, do the effect? I will say it is in line with the show that Charlotte's in. Yes, it's another, yet again, another example of comedic dumb Mm -hmm. fodder Mm -hmm. that is introduced, kind of built, and then let go. Yep. Because, like, uh, well, first of all, I do want to get to the brunch where they talk about all of this. One of them says Casper, uh, the friendly come, which yeah. another great line. Um, and then Carrie stutters in trying to describe jizz, which is so uncomfortable because you never see Carrie like stutter over a joke. Like her thing is the one liners and she's always got them ready to go. And I think they think it's funny to be like, Carrie can't think of what to say about jizz. And then what she comes up with is not even that great. She's like, it's the annoying friend you miss having around. Again, it's like of the things to subvert about Sex and the City, like why are we subverting her ability to come up with a one-liner? And then for a one-liner, that's not even that great. Like if she had come up with Casper the Friendly Come at that point, I would have been, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Instead, it's like your annoying friend who goes away and you kind of miss him. It's like, okay. I don't miss my annoying friends. <laughs> it's like who goes away sometimes and then comes back. And everyone's like, wow, Carrie, 
You should read that and put it in your book. Yeah, I know. It's like, meanwhile, I have no tolerance for my annoying friends and I'm over it. Um, yeah, <laughs> if, if that's what come is, it's like also do, do the way that they like were in rapt attention. It feels like in universe, Carrie is supposed to be funny. Yes. Like, yes. Carrie's supposed to be clever. Yes. Okay. Was this supposed to be a funny line? And that just didn't work on us. The Dadaism that is us trying to figure out if this line is funny says it all. It's an exhausting show. It it's is an exhausting absolutely show. Absolutely like, exhausting. They put Every- all this pe- peddling into like, oh, Carrie for once doesn't have the the one-liner on the tip of her tongue. Like, ah! and then we get there and it's this. It's an analogy that doesn't even work. And then Anthony follows it up with a kicker line, which is like, Miranda's saying something and then Miranda and then um they turn I think Miranda turns to uh Anthony is like well you as like the come receiver and haver like what do you have to say about this and he goes thank you Rachel Maddow Anthony best line of the episode is doing laps around these women I'm best sorry Anthony episode. is far and away the funniest and wittiest person in this group Anything Anthony says is genuinely funny in a way that I'm like, who's writing him and where do they go for the rest of the And then like, I know. And then when he's like, I want mayo, then Miranda's like, I didn't like mayo either. Like, yuck, yuck. I was like, don't taint it. (laughs) You sit down. You (laughs) sit down. We don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear your, your, your goddamn jokes. That was like. You from LA. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're the last person I want to hear from right now. Put your phone away. <laughs> I need to invite us to brunch. I know. Um, I but they have that brunch. And so to kind of wrap up the Charlotte plot before I get back into the big LTW one, because um, Charlotte and Harry, they go to a doctor. We get another echo of this BO bit from episode three where the doctor's like, can I eat a power bar? And he's chewing on this power bar. And I'm like scrambling my brain to understand what the joke is. Yes. Okay. I was going to ask you about this too. Um, They're going to see the doctor and by all accounts, the rest of the scene is completely normal. Like there aren't any bits that come from him chewing on the thing. There isn't like a, a setup with the chewing and then a payoff. Like he mispronounces something and so they mishear him and do the wrong advice. You know what I mean? There is there is no setup payoff situation with, with the Chewy Bar. It's like we had a very normal scene of them going to a doctor that could have just been that. It's almost as if they were like not confident in the scene and they were like, it needs a silly thing. Let's put one of them in a silly hat. And so then he's just chewing on a on a power bar through his lines, but there's absolutely no effect. That this yeah, but not even like badly or obnoxiously. He's just kind of like slightly chewing with his mouth open. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those scenes again that makes me feel crazy. Yes, it makes me feel crazy because like give him a shake weight. I don't know something that's like automatically dumb, as opposed yeah. to just like, do you mind if I eat this power bar slightly rudely? Like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> That's so silly of you. That's so rambunctious and goofy. We learn in this scene, though, that dry cum is a thing that can happen in older men. And the only way to bring it back is to strengthen your pelvic floor. And also, we didn't even really get into it, but now we can. It's like, 
Charlotte's obsessed with cum, with the evidence of the cum, which I, I'm not trying to say like, I would prefer if a man didn't have cum, but it's just so weird to me that she describes it as Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's all wrapped into one. Yeah, she really like, likes it. How is this so life or death for you? I mean, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of funny that of all the people, like she is the one that is really into this considering my one of, remember, I think I, I told you one of my only um, uh, things I knew about Sex in the City was, or like lines or scenes or whatever, was this line where Samantha says he had the funkiest tasting spunk. And then afterwards I see Charlotte get up from a table and stomp away. I don't know the context, but I had always interpreted Charlotte as maybe the one who was like supposed to be the prude. And now she's the one being like, guys, this is amazing. This is Hanukkah or whatever wrapped. I just loved it. Like she loves it. So I was very surprised. Um, but you know what? I'm going to say that I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm like, you know what? Someone on this show needs to be horny in a way that is like acceptable to me. Like I'm I'm tired of watching people be horny toward like minors. Yeah. <laughs> or people being horny toward like pieces of garbage people. Um, toward, horny toward people who treat them terribly. Whatever. It's like I need someone to just be unabashedly horny. And like, you know what? If it's going to be Charlotte, why the hell not? Go for it. So I'm going to – I am I give them this my stamp of approval. You know, I didn't see it that way. You've opened my eyes, and I agree. But they get home, and they do Kegel exercises where there is some of the worst. <laughs> she explains to Harry what a Kegel exercise is, and she says, it's not like trying to hold in a fart. And he says, well, because I know how to do that already. Genius line. Genius line delivery. Um, but she explains to him to do a Kegel and that doing a Kegel is slurping it all up. And she yells at him to slurp up the common, slurp it up. And she says the word slurp about 300 times. And then it's like we get this one scene of the Kegels and then later on, Guess he what? comes. Yep. Plot's <laughs> over. <the> end. <laughs> I know we don't even go anywhere with this. I was like, I thought we were going to get, because of that scene, it kind of slows, grinds to a halt when it seems like, okay, this is the one joke we're going to hit over and over. I was sort of excited at first because I thought what we were going to get was like a training montage of like Charlotte whipping him into shape, working the Kegels, they go to Pilates, it's not working, she's doing this, we're doing like, put, they're doing planks, it's like we're doing God knows what else and it gets increasingly ridiculous. That's what I thought we were going with this and it made sense for who Charlotte is that like, she would turn this into a like regimen that they have to do. No, that is such a good read. It, it, just as soon as it had started, it just ended. Not it's such a good read because that's what would happen. I wanted more. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, we just get one little cutscene and he comes and it's great. And you're like, okay. And yeah. also that one's really, it's, it's also even as a button scene, it's unsatisfying because she gives him a hand job off frame and then he yeah. comes. And then because she smiles, we're supposed to assume that there was liquid, but it's like, no, I <laughs> you need to see the liquid now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are too deep into this, ma'am. We like, 
or sorry, sir, Michael Patrick King. Patrick like, King. We have to now. It, it's too late. We're all in on this now. But yes, um, that, that is true. I forgot about that. So that's that whole plot. Woo. Okay. Um, <laughs> going back to LTW, her and her husband go out on a little date together. They discuss the dinner that Herbert's in charge of the invitations for the dinner and how grateful she is that he did that. And then he throws out there that he wanted to run for comptroller, but decided it's too much right now. Oh, that's where this comes from. What the fuck is a comptroller? Okay, so a comptroller is like, I don't really know how to honestly describe it. It's like, it's, it's, you're, it's not a mayor, but I think you also vote for it in the same race as, as the mayor or whatever. It, I think it's a little bit more focused on like, I don't want to say this wrong, but like logistics and transport and transportation, I think is what it's more dealt with. Um, that's actually, but it deals with other stuff in the bureau too that have to do with like the budget, basically, like where the budget's going. But my point is the way that they treat Comptroller in this show is like he's running for goddamn president. Yeah, they do treat it like a really big office. So like, so I, I was right about like it's dealing with the budget. So I'd say like, they do treat it like it's a bigger deal than it is, but I would say the comptroller is maybe in a more important role in New York just because, like, it is a thing that people have opinions about, if that makes sense. Yes, but it's, like, framed to me like he is representing the good in this country. <laughs> okay. That's what <laughs> I'm It's an accountant. And it's, like, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a glorified accountant in terms of, like, yeah, they, they run, and I'm not saying you wouldn't contribute to the civic good by being comptroller. Of right. course. I'm just saying the way that it's dealt with in this episode is like, oh, he's giving up. First of all, how are they going to maintain this lifestyle that they have that is exuberant and insane with him being comptroller? Because yeah, I can't imagine me. you can go from earning probably a mil a year to whatever the fuck a comptroller gets, which is what, like 150K max probably? Right, to like your city budget, whatever. Also, like, it's, I don't, is, was there any sort of political ambition from this man ever before? Did we know what he did before? Where does this come from? I'll be honest, the scene where they're out to dinner and talking about this, I zoned the hell out. I do um, not remember this whatsoever. It comes from the fact that he played George Washington in Hamilton. Oh, okay, you're right. I'm, I'm so dumb. Obviously, if he if he wanted to do it for like, I want to make a difference, whatever, it's like he could run for like city council or something like that. Like you can actually get involved in politics. This is kind of the role for people who are like nerdy pencil pushers. Like the comptrollers don't go on to run for mayor as far as I know. Right. That's my you know point. What I mean? So yeah. like this is kind of if you're like, I really just love bureaucracy and I love accounting and stuff. It's like, I don't get that sense from him that he's just really into like public policy. You know what I mean? What is that? What is so alluring about this to him? Well, we have to set up the dichotomy between the parents at this anniversary dinner. So we have to have some sort of impetus for that. Okay. Between his mother and her dad. Her father. So yeah, we get to the anniversary dinner real quick. First of all, Victor Garber is at the dinner. Victor uh, yeah, Garber, what's he doing there? Victor Garber can make any content good. Is he playing himself? Yes, he is playing himself in every role, and I cannot get enough of it. Excellent. If he had been in the Idol, it wouldn't have been canceled. I, I, that's a fact. We all know. This. Like if Victor Garber in anything, I'm like yum yum yum. More please. 
yes. sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree, and I have no, I have absolutely no notes on that. I he's love just a rich friend. Yeah, he's just a rich friend who comes by. Who's who's an art gallery owner? I didn't know Victor Garber does that in his spare time. Nope. That's really cool. That's really cool. He's got a lot of hobbies, that guy. He should run for comptroller. He should run for comptroller. He'd be a good one. We should run for comptroller. (laughs) That's where this is headed. (laughs) As as a bit, we're going to run for comptroller. Um, But womp womp, wouldn't you know it, Herbert forgot to send the invitations, which is insane. There's no way they would have gotten this far without realizing that third out of 31 people, only five were coming. Come on now. That is very insane. I don't really know. Again, this is with the, we keep using the word scaffolding, which I think is very helpful. This is very much like sitcom setup of like, whoops, we need a thing, but it's so lazy. It's like, like that's the reason rather than we set up the camp, you know, maybe you you do send out the invitations, but it was too late and everyone's already in the Hamptons and I don't want to come to your dinner. In you know, it's like, or even simpler. He put the wrong date. That's like something Beautiful. I would miss. I do that all the time where I, I have typos in emails and stuff. Cause I am sure. like horrific at the typing, right? Like that is totally understandable. What's not, cause you would check in with people, be like, you're coming to our dinner. Right. And they'd be like, Yeah. Instead, I have to suspend my disbelief that they didn't talk to anyone about this dinner. Yeah. It's much harder for me to be like, they didn't talk to a single person about this dinner versus, well, they talked to them about the dinner, but they didn't like talk about the date. Right. Exactly. That's a really good point. And I think she even yells at him being like, everyone who's here is here because I asked them in person, like an adult or something like that, as if that's the problem. Yeah. As if like the invitations are somehow not a proper way to do this. Whereas like the more improper, insane thing is that you literally spoke to no one ever, not even to invite them, just like you've never mentioned it. It was like a secret. Yeah. No, it's... Very strange and highly improbable. And then it makes the rest of it just really hard to get on the same board with. But luckily, Victor Garber's there and he kind of teases to Charlotte that he'll give her a job at her gallery. And it's like, yes, go, please (laughs) stop. Give yourself a more weighty plot line than dry cum and the MILF list and your daughter sold all her clothes. Like, please, it drives me bonkers that this episode is about dry cum and not about whether or not Charlotte should go back to work. Like her weighing that decision. The, I want to underscore exactly what you're saying by the fact that again, because I really cannot stress enough how much I checked the hell out of any LTW scene in this episode, but um, the, the conversation you're talking about, giving her a job I straight up do not remember this whatsoever. <laughs> I know I am on a recap podcast for the show, and this is very unprofessional of me. I do not remember this happening whatsoever. I just, it, I, it's I because the dinner is so many. It's so many ludicrous hats on top of the other that you're just like, I'm done with this whole right plot. Right. So my brain turned off. It was like I'm going to protect you. You know, it's just like a self defense mechanism. <laughs> the way that like I'm like a porcupine where my like spikes come out. It's like that. It's like we're not going to think about this right now. There's too much happening, and I don't like it. And then we get to Boomer Bash. Which is mom and dad squaring off about their principles because dad, played by Lando Calrissian. Wait, really? Yeah, that's Lando Calrissian. 
I don't, what's his name? Billy D. D. Williams. Williams? Yeah. It's Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams. Getting that, getting that check. Getting that check. I did not recognize him at all. All right. Again, how I knew my partner was paying attention. Perks up from the couch. She goes, is that Lando? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my Um, God. Lando Calrissian pays her dad and he keeps waxing to Herbert about how he's praying to the great God of Wall Street because he writes plays and he only likes artists and LTW is an artist and she should make her little documentaries, which is hilarious because Herbert has done nothing but support her in that, as he should. But my point is he's he's done nothing to say he doesn't support that. And then the mom goes off about I don't even know what the mom is mad about, though, that she's not a good mother because she should have baked the cake and she should have sent out the invitations and like because she works, it's a problem. And I'm just like, get me through this. It's a wonder that I don't care about either of these parents at all. At all. I I applaud you for paying enough attention to take the notes because you have to because you have to lead us through this episode. But I cannot – this is – I just, I went numb. I did not process it whatsoever. Um, I'm glad that Victor Garber is there and offered her a job. I would love to see what comes of that. I do think it's funny that Billy D. Williams is in it. Good for him. Get that check. I think it's funny that now I started to see why they brought the dad back from the dead is because it's like, if you get him to say, okay, you're like, sure. <laughs> Put him in the show. Put him in the we'll show. give you whatever you want. Also to note, Naya is not in this episode at all. Is she? I don't think so. But you know what? Here's the thing. I normally I would have said that's actually okay because I actually would be more in favor of them. If you can't fit in everybody, pick who you're going to focus on for this episode. There's like there's just too many. You know what I mean? It's like watching goddamn Degrassi and it's like every single student is like having the main plot of the episode. That's what it feels like. It's not a good sign in this case because the plots that you did make room for are garbage. And also, as discussed, Naya seems to be the one who always gets the short end of the stick. Always. always. And it's like she just became friends with LTW. Wouldn't it make sense for her to be there? At the party. Absolutely. And that's just even a way to just get her in the background. Yeah, why not? That- you know, like Seema's in a, in a couple carry moments where she's just kind of there. You know what I mean? Like That's so true. Like, anyway, so justice for Naya Still. Still. Um, but that's LTW and Charlotte's plot. Thank God we're done. Thank God we're done. Oh my God. Do you think, wait, I just realized something. Is that why the episode is called alive in capital letters with an exclamation point? Because the dad is alive. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm going to say is canon. (laughs) I'm making that canon. All right. It's canon. Put that in the end, just like that wiki. (laughs) In the end, just like that wiki. Um, Well, then we get to Miranda and Che. There's nowhere safe. <laughs> Again, I forgot what happens in this episode. I completely forgot about. And then as I was sitting there with my partner, I said, oh, my God. This happens in this episode and my partner is here. <laughs> and I literally had to pause the TV and turn around and be like, I don't think you're ready for what's going to happen next. <laughs> I like the way you talk about him as if he is like your grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like grandpa. Grandpa, what did you do in the Great War? Because whatever it was, you shouldn't have to sit through this now. Yeah, exactly. You you fought hard and you should not be subjected to this. Why don't you go lie down? Why don't you go lie down? There, there. Lie down, Grandpa. <laughs> um, well, we wake up. Miranda's on the couch in her Brooklyn home. 
Um, and she's woken up by Steve uh, punching one of those bags. And uh, he's looking hot, objectively. Yeah, he's, he looks great. He, he looks phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and then she goes to see her kid and he's sleeping with the headphones and he gives her a whole bunch of sass being like, well, if they were working, then I wouldn't be talking to you. Brady's a little shit. What a little shit. Your mom gave up her like LA fun time to come coax, like to come console you for a breakup, which sorry, I don't give two shits about. Cause he's like in high school. Right. Like it's, and it's then, not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not real. And then like, yeah. And then what a 180 from last episode, their scene ends last episode with like them having this very tender embrace, um, at home or whatever. And then it like, it's undercuts all of that. Yeah. In a way that I was kind of like, okay, I don't need her to like continue to be a simp, but like, you know, he could be like, I don't know. It was just a, a lot where I was like, it just was felt to me like we just need to make this character angry now. Yeah. I'm, I just have no, I have no sympathy for bratty teenage characters, not even just for the character themselves, but also like even the writing feels lazy to me yeah. where it's like this teenager's personality is going to be that they're a brat. <laughs> well, then they go to family therapy. And Brady basically says, uh, I'm done with the breakup and now I want to talk about you guys and your split and how it's not working. And then he drops the bomb that he is not going to college in the fall, which can I just say again, some scaffolding here. Mm. Miranda acts like he's never going to go to college. Yeah. That's when it's so clear, he just like wants a gap year. It's just a gap year. I don't understand. I can't, I just don't understand why this is the, the crisis of the episode, especially because the crisis of the episode to me should have been Miranda, Steven, him having to like cohabitate right now. Like the, the conflict was already there. But it's another example of like they build the whole frame of this thing. And I want to see this dynamic at home because. Yeah. Miranda sure talks about it a lot. And we see the one snippet of him punching the punching bag or whatever. And then, nope, we go straight to. Chayville and do that, which is horrific. And we'll get there in a second, but yeah. you're exactly right. I so agree with you. It's like, why not explore these dynamics? And I have to say the scenes with Miranda and Steve consistently in this show are the better scenes, like emotionally, just like in terms of bringing up interesting ideas. I also think again, it's like couples who are, you know, dealing with divorce in this way that they're dealing with it is a unique story. It's like what we talk about Naya all the time. It's like, yeah, I want to see this. Yes. I don't want to see shenanigans, <laughs> the broken couch, sexual like sh shenanigans on a broken couch. I want to see like this turmoil. And when those, they yes. do the turmoil scenes, they're good. It's that's so it's like heartbreaking because there's a thing in here that could have been good. And and it's totally, you know, we sort of like hem and haw about like representation. And it's so important to see older women having all these great stories. And it's like that excuse only works for so long when you're also ignoring a lot of other stories that could be just as interesting. You know what I mean? It's like I can't really use that excuse to justify why we spend the rest of this episode on couch sexual shenanigans we've only seen miranda's like 
midlife crisis, if we want to call it that, right? Like we've only seen that through her perspective and Chase's perspective and how it has affected those two. I have, obviously I'm jumping in in season two, so maybe this is not a fair criticism, but I haven't seen its effect on her family at all. So I was excited to see that when I saw Steve because I was like, here we go. Let's see what happens when a person in your family, someone you care about, goes through a midlife crisis and kind of destroys their family over it. Let's see that. Absolutely. Let's see that when a woman does that. I mean, I can't even think of how many times I've seen a, a woman, a character, you know, destroy her family over a midlife crisis kind of thing. And that that would be great. No, we got to make room for the shenanigans. And it's like, I'm sick of that. I don't really need to see it. You know, it's like, I don't even feel like I'm sitting there watching like, wow, this is so powerful that I'm watching a older woman have a three, like attempted threesome. I'm like, at this point, that's condescending, I think, to use that excuse for scenes like that to be like, oh, but it's so brave to watch an older. First of all, she's not that old. And second of all, yeah, it's actually not that weird for them to have sexual experiences. And it's so condescending to give it the gravitas of like, groundbreaking television i also think we already have hygiene sex in this episode like it's not mi- like they're missing hijink sex like we have the dry cum hang <laughs> your lantern on that no <laughs> instead che is moving into their luxury apartment in hudson yards and i just as a resident of hell's kitchen okay i would like to bring up my beef with michael patrick king which it. is that repeatedly on the writer's podcast, he talks about how Che steps up from their crappy Hell's Kitchen walk up to go to fancy Hudson Yards. And I'm like, don't disrespect my goddamn neighborhood like that. First of all, Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen can be classy as fuck. Okay. Che wishes <laughs> that they could run their life in Hell's Kitchen instead right. of soulless corporate horrific hudson yards like actually barf also to your point about the thing i'm just gonna go back to my my theory about michael patrick king who was like frozen in cryogenic sleep for all this time and has like woken up from several years ago what year does he think it is where hell's kitchen like that's expensive even the shabby (laughs) walk-up is really expensive so like what year does he think this is that's the disrespect the disrespect and also, it just is so wonderfully out of touch to say that. You know what I mean? Also, like, because Che is- would be in Brooklyn. 100%. They would have been in Bushwick somewhere. Yeah, and 100%. then they would have elevated to that Tower of Siron, Sauron that we have yeah. that they're building yeah. now. Yes. 100%. As opposed to Hell's Kitchen, Hudson Yards. Like, what? The man has... First of all, never left Manhattan. <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, like, even, like, Central and South. I don't even think this man has been to Harlem. Like, this man has <laughs> been in, like, a 20-block radius in Manhattan. And on top of that, he hasn't been alive since, like, the 1980s or whatever. So, like, yeah. he also doesn't seem to understand, like, what things look like now. And that's the only explanation I can get for this f- weird explanation of of what's happening with Jay's apartment. But anyway. Well, in this horrific apartment, Lyle... Che's ex-husband, well, current husband, I guess, is still there. And then we learn so much about him that I don't want to (laughs) know. We get his whole, like, speed dating spiel. I'm like, I don't want to hear any of it. Like, Carrie has this whole scene with him. It's like, ugh, just get me me out of here. 
He also, in the meantime, Miranda and Che are like semi fucking in the bedroom, which is very rude. It is incredibly rude. Everything about what happens in this apartment from this through everything else is a college. It's like college age people acting like college age people having college age crises and situations. That's what this felt like to me. Well, then we are on the bed and everyone's sharing their polyamorous pegging strap-on stories. And Carrie, being the sex columnist, is like, gotta go. Yeah, she's like, oh, pegging. I gotta get out of here. Although uh, this is the one time I will give her credit because how the hell did she even stay this long? These three are insufferable. I know. I know. And I do think it's actually them being funny about Carrie being a prude. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This was the one time where I was like, you get a pass on this one. I was like, I see you. Okay. You get it. Um, But Lyle falls asleep on the bed. And they can't be adults and just wake him up and say, get the fuck out of here. We're going to get into the Dadaist (laughs) experimentation here where I am going to be... I was trying to decode what here is contriveness on behalf of the writers and what here is contriveness on behalf of Che. Because I did have this question in my notes of, was this whole threesome setup agreed upon on purpose? And we sort of like led the horse to water, so to speak. Or is it the writer's? forcing this to happen. I can't tell. I think this is a repeat of when Che has that meltdown about dieting and how they feel about their body and it comes out of nowhere and it's really weird and it feels like they're making it up Mm. a couple episodes back. It's like that where the problem is that they have set up that Che is a kind of disingenuous, mean-spirited character. Mm -hmm. So when they do their usual tactic of forcing their plot in there, it reads as disingenuous. Whereas with everyone else, it just kind of reads as chaotic or hijinks or whatever. You know, we kind of like buy into it, I guess. Whereas mm-hmm. with Chase specifically, it you're like, I can't tell if exact to your point, you get that question. Are they forcing it or are the writers forcing it? I think at the core, the writers are forcing this to happen. I think they think it's funny to set it up. They all sleep like three's company in the same bed. And then Miranda and Che start to get a little hot and heavy. And Miranda's like, are we going to make out while he's asleep? And Che basically is like, shh, don't think about it. And then Lyle wakes up and tries to join in. And they have a very disturbing conversation where Che's like, are you cool with this to Miranda? And Miranda's like, um, my visceral reaction is no. But as I'm talking about it more, like maybe I just need to explore the unknown. And Che's like, well, it becomes less hot the more you talk about it. Mm. Mm. Which, ew. No. Yeah, we don't like that. And the way that that Lyle comes up behind Che to join, exactly. Mm. It's like, was he asleep the whole time to get this to happen? But I don't think that was real. I I don't think that – I don't think that – the writers are working on that 3D chess level. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It I think you've are exactly articulated the 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 problem here. Um and I, I think it's interesting. I could go back and forth, but either way, we get to the situation where uh 
Che says these things in a way that I think is, again, supposed to be interpreted as flirty. I don't really know if the writers meant to make this like a moment, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like a, Hashtag a me teaching too. moment, let's call it. <laughs> a very special episode of And Just Like That. Um, I think this was like, oh, Che, this is the way that Che is kind of flirty, is like a little bit negging. A little bit sort of like, you know what I mean? I, I yes. think they think of this as just their style. And that is not how it reads. And that's not a really good thing to say to someone in any kind of situation with anything sexual, intimate, anything. Like of of them trying to work through whether they're comfortable or not. And then telling them you're actually killing the vibe by talking through it. <laughs> It's like, I'm killing the vibe by talking about it. Maybe you're killing the vibe by trying to introduce your ex-husband out of nowhere into this threesome like that I clearly don't want because I didn't want him to be here to begin with. Exactly. And then they turn around and proceed to essentially cut Miranda out of the threesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which that, that was, is that ha- that's intentional, insane. But it's insane on a level of like, do you want me to not like this character or not? Yes, and I have a feeling we're going to ask this every goddamn episode because I'm watching this like this person's clearly a villain, right? Right? Show right? And this is clearly a bad partner, and we're supposed to be like, man, I can't wait till Miranda dumps this trash person. It's just, and then thank God, God intervenes and gives Miranda Charlie Horse and she gets out of there and then they have this- Charlie Horse from God. They have this weird lukewarm, all their interactions are so weirdly charged and then end lukewarm. They have this lukewarm Mm. interaction on the couch that I barely remember uh, that's just kind of like, whatever. I don't even remember what they say. I missed you. And then like nuzzles- um, up against Miranda and then the couch which is broken like falls like the, like it like thuds again or whatever and they like giggle about it and then that's the end of the scene gross didn't like a single thing about it like first of all you didn't even tell me about this ex-husband now he's yeah. here and you're basically gonna like cut me out of the threesome to fuck him more right and then also introduce me into the threesome under like a very pressured situation with and it's not even just with anyone it's with your ex-husband who i just found out about like can you imagine also like what if miranda hadn't lost her phone and had this chance encounter meeting the ex-husband don't like lyle don't like any bit of this relationship don't i can kind of i feel like i know where this is going but also this show doesn't really like follow logic so maybe where, I do, don't. where do you think this is going um, I think this is going to Lyle being the final rift between Che and Miranda, where something's going to happen with Lyle and Che, and Miranda's going to think it's cheating, and Che's not going to think it's cheating. And then they're going to break up over that. That's really cute, because I'm going to give you a spoiler right now, which I deal with the spoiler out very rarely. Wow. This is the last time we see Lyle. Yep. I realized that watching this episode because you're like, it's kind of insane that they go through this whole threesome experience and you're expecting this to like build to somewhere, but nope. I'm like furious about that. I think I would have been less angry 
if he comes back, but in a way that is just ridiculous or just not what I was expecting or whatever. You know what I mean? I think I would have been less angry if he came back and did a stupid thing. I'm more angry at the fact that like there was clearly such setup here and so much time has been dedicated to this. Why would you just drop him? Like there he's clearly I oh my god, I'm so mad. It's just like why have him in two episodes? Why? Like he seems like a one up ep- like if it's just gonna be this kind of like bup, 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 like just put him in one episode. Why is yeah. he in two episodes and then I feel like, oh, this is like real tension and gone. Yes. Obliterated. Obliterated after this. Exactly. What was the point of all of this? I don't think there's even a wrap up of like, oh, Lyle, I told him to get away. Like, I think he's just, he's just, uh, Thanos snapped and he's gone. (laughs) Gone. He's out of this universe. He's gone. He's dust. I don't understand why we spent all of this time with the tension and the setup if we're going to do that. Also, like, then we could have spent this episode on Steve and Brady and her family. Why did we need to do this diversion? Is it is it because we needed to set up the seeds being planted about Che being a bad person? Because, as we've discussed multiple News times. flash. <laughs> we know. We know. <laughs> we know. We know. We don't know if the writers know, but like we know we don't need to like see this happen. I don't. I, that's such a fucking waste of my time. I'm so mad. You know, your conspiracy is the cryogenics and the flashcards. And my conspiracy is that the writers think every scene is funny. Oh, that's a good one. Except for when it's obviously supposed to be serious. Any scene that's not obviously serious with the serious music and the serious moment. Every other scene is supposed to be funny. Full stop. Well, we end Miranda and Che as we always do on a meh, lukewarm note. Uh, I'm tired. <laughs> but then we turn to Carrie. <laughs> oh, you thought we were done, but nope, we got Carrie. Release me. <laughs> Carrie and Bobby Lee meet for brunch because Carrie right. promised him an autographed book, which why couldn't you just give it to him on the side of the street? Why do you have to have a brunch? And then we have to get rid of him quickly because she needs to have a phone call. So we just give him Hollandaise diarrhea. Yeah. Uh, what the hell was that? And also, like, for anyone that, again, has forgotten, because I can understand a lot happens in these episodes, Marina isn't kidding. That's literally the reason. He's ordering Eggs Benedict. They're eating Eggs Benedict, which, first of all, taste. That is the brunch dish to have. So, correct. But they're both ordering Eggs Benedict. And, like, a pretty key ingredient is that there's hollandaise sauce in it. And then he suddenly remembers when his stomach starts comically rumbling loudly, oh, wait, I broke my hollandaise before noon rule and runs off to go have diarrhea in the bathroom. It's one of the best moments of scaffolding this show of like, oh, Bobby Lee's here. We only need two jokes from him. And then he has to go. Um, Diarrhea, give it to him. Like, great. Love it. Yeah, you know, he never comes back, does he? Nope. Scene's over. (laughs) Yeah, because Carrie then like talks to other people and goes about her day or whatever. We just never see this man again. Mm -hmm. You know, legend says he's still in that bathroom. The man, the myth, the diarrhea. The diarrhea. (laughs) So, 
he goes to have diarrhea and Carrie, uh, first of all, she's getting these elusive texts from a random guy named Marlon Schaefer. More on that later. But she bumps into Enid. Enid, another throwback to the original show. Okay. Enid was a hoity-toity Vogue editor. And at one point in the original show, Carrie works uh, for her to write op-eds for Vogue. And they have a very interesting mentor-mentee relationship. Good to know that in the future, though, your mentor will just pretend to not see you in a restaurant. Yeah. So what was the deal? Okay. I I didn't understand the blocking or what was going on. I thought Enid was like pretending to not notice Carrie so that Carrie would call out to her. I didn't realize Enid was like avoiding her. You know what I mean? No, no, no. It's explicitly said that Enid basically didn't want Carrie to see her. And so she was trying to be as stealth as possible because she didn't say anything about Big's death. And honestly, she's been kind of a cunt in general. Although it's clear that Carrie just didn't track any of that. Yeah, clearly. Because she's immediately asking her, like, hey, can you plug my book? Also, under the confusion over how famous Carrie Bradshaw is, why does she need this Enid person to be plugging her book? Before we even get to the Enid of it all, let me just back up with my big overarching problem. I mean, there are many problems in Carrie's plotline this episode. Mm. But the big one for me is this thing of like, her feeling weird about asking for Enid's help with her book when she already asked her to do the blurb, already asked her to put the book in the newsletter. So you already did it. Yeah. Why are you insecure about doing an exchange of goods for something? That's true. That is another annoying. And again, we're going to come back to this again. It's like, again, in sitcom formula, whatever, you have adults not acting like adults because like you have to have people acting immature in ways that are relatable, but also will get them into trouble. Like, how is this a struggle? And in the way that with Carrie, you're like, how do I tell him that I don't actually want to date him seriously and I'm just in it for the sex? You tell him that. How do I actually ask her to like do a blurb in exchange for this? It feels so transactional. You already asked. Just do it again. Yeah, it's What's like the, what is the drama here? Just it do took it. me a while. It took me a, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long time, and then I kept being like, "Why are they harping?" Because on every scene with Carrie, they harp on this point. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to get her to mention my? And it's like, why is this a problem? <laughs> why is this a problem? It's not a problem. You asked her, you she said friend- no. Your friend has lost his bowels in this public <laughs> bathroom. Like you have other problems you need to be solving. He needs a hospital. <laughs> He's gonna go like Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yeah, get his ass. Enid pitches vivant, which is French for alive. And uh Vivant That's Online funny. magazine and says, Carrie, you should write for us for women our age and Carrie gets pissed because Carrie's trying to say I'm not old. (laughs) (laughs) Also, can I just Uh, say in the day and age of our dear Lord, 2023, how is a ask like a dear Amy newsletter hotter than goop? (laughs) Again, it's just the scaffolding. Like don't like, 
just have right. her like just have her i don't know i mean she she why is she not she could have still been working actually because the conversation starts with her telling them they gave you the golden parachute right like they like like forced her they like laid her off basically is my understanding they didn't yeah. have to do that so once again it's another situation that you have pointed out has would have been fine if they simplified it, but they add an extra wrinkle that makes it le- make less sense. Like you didn't yeah, actually like, have, to have that. She could just be working at Vogue or whatever. Anna Winter will be at Vogue forever. But like, I guess the problem is if she's at Vogue, then she can't start Vivant. That's the problem. Because we have to start this dumbass magazine. Right. This dumbass magazine that later is summons the power of Gloria Steinem. Yeah, <laughs> you heard me. We'll get that to that in a minute, though, because first oh. Carrie and Seema have a little. I think this is like one of the only times we see Seema this whole episode. Mm. They have a little chat. Carrie's wearing a dumb flying nun hat <laughs> that's ugly as balls. I said it, and we get another <laughs> text. Out there. You could put that in print in Vivant. Yeah, exactly. Next to me, um, <laughs> she gets yet another text from Marlon Schaefer. Mm-hmm. I, I see it twice. I'm like, I know this is gonna be a plot point. Couldn't give less of a fuck about this guy. Yeah, <laughs> already have forgotten. Also, like, she doesn't know who this man is. Does Carrie? I mean, maybe this makes more sense because you told me that Carrie is like anti-technology or whatever. Does she not know how to like block people or whatever? Yeah, I'm like, I would instantly think this is spam and just move on. Right. Nope. She just keeps looking at it. I don't know. After Che investigates Lyle Island. Ugh. Oh my God! Don't. Why would you say that? She why finally would you goes. That? <laughs> I'm a sad, sick Popeye-sounding person. Okay, <laughs> I have little to you live for. Sick, sick Popeye pervert. <laughs> That's me. The man, the myth, the lasagna. <laughs> well, Carrie goes to the Vivant. I don't know fundraising event. Yeah. Where, yep, you it's, heard me. Gloria yep. Steinem is there. <laughs> Playing Victor Garber, weirdly. <laughs> it was so weird. It's so weird. Not only is Gloria Steinem Gloria Steinem, but Gloria Steinem also, all her dialogue is her own dialogue. What do you mean by that? So, like, the little speech that she gives about women, she wrote that. Like, she she came up with that on the spot. Anything she, anything Gloria Steinem says in the episode is just Gloria Steinem being Gloria Steinem. Are you telling me this is a theory or something you've actually learned? No, this is in the writer's podcast. She improvised. I mean, they told her ahead of time. They're like, you're going to give a little speech to these ladies. This is what Vivant is about, (laughs) which again. Okay. Um. (laughs) And so she gives the speech that's like. Women outlast the men. They survive longer, and this is why. And that is why this work is so important that you do in this room. Bavant will live. And it's, like, very self-serious for a women's magazine that we're hiring Carrie Bradshaw to do an Ask Amy about or whatever. It's a shock for me to say I feel they do Gloria disservice. Mm. In any other context, I think Gloria is very charming. She makes little yeah. jokes. She says, you know, women outlive men, although we don't want to. And everyone laughs. Like, uh. Right. Meanwhile, the, the fuckery that's happening in the background. 
does not the match fact, the speech she's given. And the fact that she's pitching to this dumbass, fake-ass, vivant-ass magazine. <laughs> You're like, I was That's watching That's so it. sad. I was watching it. I was like, God, Gloria is just effervescent. The fact that she ends saying, the new frontier is aging, which is such a interesting, loaded thought. Mm. But no, we got to move on. Yeah, because <laughs> we, we gotta, gotta go get back to, to the Marlon Schaefer. Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so insulting. Aging First of all, is the new frontier. Anyway, dick pic. <laughs> dick pic. Before we get fully into the dick pic, I want to point out the house in this mm-hmm. is the same house that Miranda Priestley has in the Double Wars Prada. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to, I thought that exact thing. I was like, this reminds me exactly of Miranda Priestley's house. And I was going to ask you and I'm like, say something about it. I thank you so much. I was like going crazy. Those, those stairs, that carpet on the stairs. Iconic like, stairs. I know this. That is a good fucking movie. That is a movie that just doesn't age. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Yep. Tragic. Bitsy Von Muffling's back. Can't right. get enough of this woman. I'm sorry. <laughs> She literally goes on a rant here and I was like trying to write down all the parts of this rant and then I just gave up because I was just like, uh, she's just talking about nothing and it goes on for so long, Michael Patrick King, like edit, edit. What, what, I also, can I just say that she, as someone who has only, my only reference for her is what we saw in the last episode, right? (laughs) Yeah. Which was like having a very sweet an affectionate conversation about grieving for your husband and and how to live on and how to also comfort yourself when you're having a rough day. It's a lovely conversation. I just had a very different idea of who this <laughs> character was so that when we come to this episode and suddenly she's like, like holding up her phone like, did you see the dick pic I sent you? I'm like, who is this woman? Because the person that we met was so lovely and thoughtful. And then this maniac has come in that is like, I'm giving your number out to my ex-boyfriends and I will send you pictures of their schlong to excite you about them. Like a maniac. I don't know what law she's breaking, but I think she's the closest we have to like some sort of criminal in this episode. No, she's a criminal. Not at all who I thought she was going to be. I thought she was going to be a sweet old lady. No, she's a criminal for many reasons. Okay. First of all, let me say, um, so we find out that the Marlon Schaefer texts are because Bitsy gave Marlon uh, Carrie's number because she felt bad for Carrie and she's trying to get them to fuck each other. Um, First of all, we get a very important bit of context here that I have to point out, which is the second crime that Bitsy commits. Because by the way, this is Bitsy's true character. (laughs) But um, just so you're comforted. Um, Okay, the you. second crime that she commits is that they talk about her husband, who famously is dead, but is in the original series, and I can't wait for you to meet him. Bitsy goes on and on about how much sex they used to have. And Carrie's like, I thought he was gay. And Bitsy's like, well, yes, but that's why he tried so hard. And I was like, call Glad. Yeah. It- <laughs> that is a crime that you, what? gaslit this man who you knew was gay into continuing to be with you and have sex with you because you were trying to engineer him into having sex. It like, it opens a portal right into a thought Island. I don't need to go to, I want to go to the frontier is aging. 
That's where I want to go. I don't want to go to this woman gaslit a man she knew was gay for years so that he could continue to have good sex. It's just baffling. Well, maybe he came out later in life and then that was, and then he, you know, got to enjoy himself and and find romance or sex with people he wanted to. I'm just going to put this headcanon in my head so I can (laughs) enjoy it. Oh, Emily, remember that for later. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, while Gloria Steinem is going on about amazing things, um, as you said, Bitsy sends Carrie uh, Marlon's dick pic, which is a studio lit like a headshot that you would take in a studio from profile. Yeah, it's like it is like a a black backdrop and like there's there's like ring lights like it is like brightly lit high definition 4K peen. It is like this was a professionally done, but it's clearly not like to your point. It's also clearly not like uh like a posed. It's like not a posed nude that she zoomed in on. It's like just perfect profile of this man just standing in a studio somewhere. It's like, can Hollywood not manufacture a real looking dick pic? Right. I don't get it. it <laughs> I don't get what I feel like Michael Patrick King was like, if it doesn't obviously look like a dick in profile, they won't understand it's a dick pic. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like- I think people know what a dick pic looks like. Right. Even if it's like kind of blurry, like I, I, I get the concept. This is the thing about dick pics. It's like dicks are not attractive to look at. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I say that as a straight woman, I don't look at a dick and I like a disembodied picture of a dick and think like, wow, this is great. I just don't like that. It was like cut out of an anatomy textbook. (laughs) There's something about that. That's very foreign, especially when Marlon is clearly in every picture he sends to Carrie. Wouldn't it just make sense? Like, you know, what would be funny is like old ass Marlon, like, naked yeah like from you know from ball to up (laughs) yeah yeah and he's like got a six-pack and it's ripped awesome and then he's holding his dick yeah yeah that's (laughs) a hilarious photo yes as opposed to this like horrific like (laughs) dissection page from an anatomy textbook headshot lit right glowing kind of orange penis that we get right which is, again, disembodied and really also could be anyone's. How do we even know that this is Marlon? Well, Enid recognizes that it's Marlon's because, essentially, Carrie says some words to Gloria Steinem. Oh, God. And then Gloria Steinem gives her the courage to barter with Enid. Ugh. And then she barters with Enid to mention, you know, to give money to Vivant uh, because Carrie's got deep pockets because Big's dead. So she agrees to give the money if Enid will shout out her book. And then uh, they take the picture with Gloria. And then Enid's like, I have to approve that photo. And then she scrolls through all the photos and sees the dick pic and is like, my Marlin, you're stooping my Marlin. And Carrie's like, no. And then Enid's like, "Mm." and then Carrie's like, I'll just give you the 100K for nothing in return. And then we get, and just like that, where Enid and I became PayPals. I thought what happened was at first she wasn't actually even going to give her money because I thought she was saying, she kind of like did that callback line of like, but if I give you the 100K, I'd have to give everyone 100K. And she's like kind of cool about it. Well, I think she's bartering. You know, she's like, she's like playing the game. 
Okay. Like, well, I'd like right. to give you the, you know, she, she's finally bartering. I think that's what that's about. Oh, okay. So she's going to land on a price. It's just that we don't know it yet because they get interrupted by taking the picture, checking the picture to make sure I look cute. Oh my God, what is this dick pic? Blah, blah. And then she agrees to give her a hundred K in the end because she's like ashamed. So all of this was for nothing. I just want to be super clear. The It's like, yeah, it's like eight steps of guffaw to get to the final guffaw, which is basically like. First of all, Carrie thought she was supposed to write for Vivant. And then Enid's like, no, I just want your money. Right. And then Carrie's like, oh, well, if you want my money, you could mention my book. Essentially in a covert way says that. Right. And right, then Enid's right. like, I will mention your book for the money. And then Enid's like, wait, you're fucking my boyfriend? And then Carrie's like, no, I, anyway, here's the money. Oh, so we don't even, Okay. So then what was the point of the fucking my boyfriend reveal? Nothing changes because of it? Because she fucked her boyfriend, she's probably not going to get the blurb anymore because essentially to make them oh. even, she has to pay Enid 100K and not get the blurb. The fact that you don't know says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it says a lot about the complicated, drawn-out steps it takes yeah. To get to this, we were talking about this last episode about like, yeah. do they write the and just like that first? This is a classic example of they wrote this and just like that. They mm -hmm. wanted the PayPal's mm -hmm. joke. And then yeah. they wrote this whole episode to get there. And it is clunk, clunk central. It's terrible. I, it is exactly that where it's too many steps. I've lost the plot. And then we rush to the end into the point where like, I don't actually know where we ended on all parties when she asks for the money and says like no you're here because you have deep pockets which already is like a rude thing to say to someone period so already we're kind of off base and then she explicitly says you've just come into a lot of money and so like I was hoping you could help me with this which is so out of line and again an appalling thing to say that doesn't get treated as if it's appalling do you know what I mean? Like when she said that, I was like, I'm ready for Carrie to throw her drink in her face and march out of there. Like, Honestly, why is the culmination of this Carrie being like, bye-bye? I actually don't need this and I don't need your blurb. Fuck I off. don't need your blurb. I don't need your support because it started with Enid trying to like ignore her in a public space. A natural, again, like end of the arc is starting with her trying to get Enid's attention, trying to get Enid's approval trying to figure out how to like impress her. And then in the end realizing I actually don't need to impress my old mentor. I've outgrown this and you're just rude and I'm leaving and I don't need you. Like that is where this arc should end, but it doesn't even end in a subversive way. It just ends in a stupid way. That's unreal. It's just like a dick pic guffaw. And also does nothing to deepen her relationship with Enid. It makes me not like Enid. And Enid was always a very um, caustic character but you still liked her. You see what I mean? Like she could be very um, blunt and very kind of um, like a little rude, but you okay. still kind of liked her. You still, and yeah. you also empathized with her. I, I didn't read Enid as a character who would be empathetic or I would like to empathize with or anything like that. Like she was the hurdle that Carrie was supposed to, to cross. I did not read her as like a, you know, a friend, a mentor, any of that. I was just like, oh, here's the thing that she's going to solve. And then Carrie didn't solve it. And I don't think it's a good homage to their relationship in the original series either. That's sad. We had a lot to say about this episode. This episode had a lot of bumps in it. 
Yeah, it really did. It really did. I, it, it, rocky. Rocky as hell. I don't think there was any totally smooth ride that stuck the landing, except for Naya's plot. I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> and that's why they cut it out. And that's why they cut it out. <laughs> well, we end the episode as we end all episodes. Emily, what was your get them? What was your one singular get them for this episode? This is uh, this is going to be hard every time. I think my my get them is like the the pressuring Miranda into a threesome moment because I don't as discussed I don't think the writers saw it that way and that's what it was. It was gross. Yeah, I was going to say Lyle as a whole would be my get them. Mm. Um but I think I'll go with just Forcing all your friends to an anniversary dinner for your wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate that. I also will become that. Um, <laughs> we are our greatest critic. And what is your release the Kraken? This is tough, I think, for me. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to say Victor Garber. Icon. Every time I see him on screen, I'm happy. I don't care what his dialogue is. It sounds good. He he get he tries to give Charlotte a job. Finally, he tries to give Charlotte something really to do, and she just kind of goes, "Oh, my kids need me," and I hate that. But I love Victor, and I hope he's continued to be bullied to be in this show. <laughs> exactly. I hope he is continued to force to be here. I think my my release the Kraken. I want more of this. Uh, Gloria Steinem speech. Mm. Obviously, we can't have more Gloria Steinem, and I don't want her to subject her to the, the <laughs> this show anymore. But I, the ideas that she presented, the tone she presented it with, it's like these are ideas that could be in this show. You know, there's like it's it doesn't have to be serious about it, but they thematically could be in this show. But we're like not choosing not to for some reason. So I'll do like a release the Kraken for Gloria Steinem's speech. Well, what a way to end. <laughs> As an homage to feminism squandered. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so depressing. So depressing. <laughs> I think I need to go recover and rest uh, and restore my feminism that has been injured by watching these episodes. Yeah. And <laughs> next up, we have episode five and the rest of our lives. <laughs> Bye.